0: I am still kind of just a little bit groggy this morning. I, I don't know. I slept okay, but I'll make it. The new,
1: the new Mario game you can play as an <sighs> elephant. Yeah, yeah.
2: I watched a couple streamers play that. How does it feel? What's the feel like?
1: I'm not the right person to ask because you're asking somebody significantly worse than you at Mario games. How the game <laughs> plays? <laughs> I can't play like Kaizo games, so I can't. I I, I can't tell you. It plays good for me, but. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, even like just it. like
2: on a casual level, like I, I heard a couple people saying like the movements really tight, like the the power up, the new power up system is really fun, and um, y- there's a lot of fun new enemies. And like I know there's like a lot of technical shit I could get into about Mario games, but like boilerplate, those are like the three big things I care about.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's got the thing that I've really liked about it so far is that like they the whole new like wonder flower thing that they do, which basically like starts, it it basically is like triggers like a big scripted event that changes how the level is played. Some of those are really, really cool. Like you get into the second level and you hit that and suddenly singing piranha plants start coming out of all of the... uh, like different pipes and everything and it becomes this whole musical sequence it's really good man that that sounds sounds fun
0: well uh, introducing music that was that's good because i mean that was like basically the like something brand new in mario maker as far as i could tell yeah yeah
2: the the note blocks i don't know if that was mario maker one or two but yeah they made that like a really big deal and then you had like musical timed levels with like you know the platforming equivalent of like quick time events and like timed jumping and stuff. So it'd be interesting to see if they incorporate stuff from Wonder into a future Mario Maker. Although, since they're probably winding down the Switch right now, we probably have to wait for a new console before we get a new Mario Maker.
1: Well, and there's they, and they also included like this badge system, which I don't know if that was in some of the older ones mm. where it's like you can equip one badge at a time and it changes how the levels are. Like one lets you like float on mario's cap if you hold r down like to get over a gap interesting one will let you do a vertical like one vertical wall jump when you cling to a wall before you kick off um but you can't have like all it's what you pick one and and use that
2: but it's like modular platforming like Mm -hmm. you can go into the level with different builds essentially and
0: that's and that's how you basically get a hundred percent is by using each badge one time on every level uh, well.
1: Maybe. Well, because some of them are very specific. Like, there's one that gives you, like, a dolphin kick when you're in underwater. So if you're in a level with no water, that's not really going to be useful. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. Well, this is some great advice for our listeners who are playing the
1: new <laughs> Mario game. Yeah. Exactly. Nin- Nintendo <laughs>
2: loves replayability and... Well- uh, sp-
1: <laughs> i've needed something to distract from the horrors of reality when there's moments of downtime i can't realistically do anything about them and having a very colorful friendly game where you play as an elephant person is is pretty good
2: For yeah that. that's basically what i've been doing it's like a few hours of the horrors of the world and then it's like maybe today i can come in second in an f zero ninety nine 99 race and then you do it and you're like wow that was a nice momentary solace Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of momentary solace. this is Work Stoppage. My name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we're entirely listener supported, so thank you so much. If you support us on the Patreon, it really does go a long way, and it's the only way we receive support. Hop in the Discord if you're not in there already, and if you're a patron who needs stickers, message us on Patreon. If you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we read every single one, so thank you so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just wanted to kick off with a quick story that I mean, this isn't really like a full fledged story, I guess. It's not the sort of thing that where we I've got a ton of notes for this, but I just wanted to point this out because there was folks may have seen if you're terminally online, um, like me, uh, that you know last week there was a video uh, from the London Metro of of a tube driver there who was leading uh, people in a a free free Palestine chant. Which, first off, by the way, all he said was free free into the the uh, intercom and it was the people on the tram who said Palestine. Like, mm-hmm. so it's, it's like, there's this, uh, the the thing about this and I'll get to it, but so he did this, it was on video. It's great. Um, and then immediately the London Metro suspended the train driver and is being investigated by the police. And so like, obviously that in of itself is ridiculous and reflective of the fascist nature of uh, liberalism in this moment. But I also think the thing and I wanted to point out like the difference between exactly what he was saying and the way that it's portrayed because I actually think it speaks to why they're r- cracking down so harsh on it. Because if it was just him and nobody echoed it or people were booing or something, I don't actually think this. they really would have done much of anything. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we've seen over the last week or so is that despite the fact that the capitalist ruling classes are all in complete lockstep with their embrace of, of, of genocidal violence in Palestine, really truly exposing that the West is, are the true heirs to the Third Reich – that despite that, despite the unity of the ruling class, like, it's been made very, very clear that workers are not just being quiet like they have been in the past on this. And that, like, most regular people don't want this horrible bloodshed to happen. And I actually think it was precisely the fact that it was the people on the train who were completely on board with this and were enthusiastic about it. That that is actually what caused, you know, the London tube uh the metro company, whatever, the government, to 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 crack down on this guy because they are losing control of the narrative. This is mm-hmm. how you see, you know, the breakdown of hegemony on this issue, and that terrifies them, and that's exactly why we have to keep doing stuff like this.
2: Well, that, that kind of, like, being scared of the public support more than the actual message thing, I mean, it makes sense from a technical perspective on the British government's part or whatever, but it's also, like, It's very particularly British. Like You saw them doing this with Jeremy Corbyn, too. They never would have run that campaign against him if he hadn't been successfully getting a message out. If he had just been a guy in the Labour Party who was like, I have some good ideas, and they were able to just easily sideline him, there wouldn't have been any call for that. But it's like when you have movements or you have ideas in your country that go against what the the main narrative is and they actually start to receive popular support you know that's when all the guys in powdered wigs start start to call on their staff and they're like oh okay we actually have to <laughs> do something about this or my power is going to be threatened
0: well and not to say that it's just the uk either i mean like that it is definitely a a thing there but I mean, we have seen you know the the doxing campaigns, the firings mm-hmm. of different people all over the United States and other parts of the West as well.
1: Yeah, I will say I have been rather disappointed with the response from the Tube Drivers Union as left because I haven't seen any major protest from the union leadership. Uh, the only comments I've seen were complaining that the police got involved, saying, "Oh, that's ridiculous." But I'm just like, they suspended one of your members mm-hmm. for. Standing up against a genocide you that you should you should be on fucking strike <laughs> like yeah, uh where the fuck is the solidarity here like what my 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 real thing is' like what exe- what is the point of having a union if you're not going to back people up in these moments like you might as well just get rid of it, like what the fuck is the point of having it if you're just gonna hang your people out to dry during this fucking situation,
2: yeah, well, and so. also I just had to google it because I'm not super familiar with u k law and I know. Referring to the law isn't really that effective here, but, like, they have freedom of expression very much the same way that we do in the United States. Like, you don't even... Even outside of the labor context, like, what this tube driver did was, like, perfectly legal, perfectly protected speech, and it violates the 1998 Human Rights Act in the UK to do this, so... I mean, it just is, I know, again, like, trying to point at the law and being like, but it says is not super effective when unions routinely have to fight to get (laughs) things in their contracts that say the employer must follow the law, but it's there. Yeah,
0: Yeah. well, well, we see that in a lot of the contexts around this is that it doesn't matter what the law is according Mm -hmm. to, I mean, the West is going to enact what they are going to enact and the only way that that's going to be stopped is through that collective struggle. And you're you're, you're mostly right, Dan. I, I do think that it is incredibly disappointing that the union has not decided to stand up for this member here and and it, it really shows that uh, the ruling class does have a little bit of that that hegemony that's leaked into our institutions and that needs to change.
1: Yeah, like look, I'm not saying that the union are the bad guys here. That like they're not. But like that's if your union isn't gonna stand up for people in this time, how are they ever gonna fight for, you know, a better the the best contract you can possibly win? Like when it's contract time. Like these are these two things are related. And, like, it's why it's so important that every member of a union be as, you know, militantly involved in running it as possible so that the union actually represents the people. Like, yeah. ultimately, I know the bad guys here are the, the racist British ruling class, which, unfortunately, we have a whole story to talk about relating to that. <laughs> which is also
0: an interesting story in the—it's almost like a, uh, a foreshadowing of a coming patron episode, but,
1: yeah— yeah, so there was a story that came out this week uh, specifically. I, I saw it in Yahoo uh, News, which I had to. I read the headline, and it's one of those ones where I'm like, "Wait, is this like distorting the story? Is this making this seem more ridiculous than it is? Or, or is, is it this an like an article? article from 1903?" Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Those were both of the thoughts that I had when I read the headline, which I should probably just like. This story is just so ridiculous. I had really a lot of trouble believing the headline. Like, this must be tweaked in some way. But no, it's exactly as ridiculous as it is. And what this story is about uh, is labor conditions in the British Navy. But specifically, uh, this is from a story where the British Navy has apparently decided to end its 100-plus-year history, which they're referring to as a tradition, of exclusively employing Chinese workers in the laundries of their ships and the reason that behind this move is that the navy is concerned that the chinese workers could be spies for the for china
2: right we decided to st- i can't do the british accent we decided to stop doing racism because it was a national security threat <laughs> is what uh, they're saying
0: i the thing is is like this is a, a story that has changed meanings throughout this hundred year time span because originally it was incredibly racist just against you know the China in general because this was pre-revolutionary China. And then as China has its revolution, it suddenly gets this uh, this uh, color of uh, d- deep anti-communism
1: well it's it's just it's evolving forms of of racism it's mm-hmm. it's just like yeah. <laughs> racism through the years because y- you know you had in the earlier period the well of course we can't have british workers working in the laundry that's demeaning we'll put the chinese workers who we consider to be lesser as our colonial subjects into that job and then oh now it's well, we can't have these Chinese people on our on our ships. They're probably spies. Like it's just one form of racism traded in for another form of racism. It's ridiculous. Like, and with the news, it 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 came that the Navy has dismissed several longtime uh, Chinese national workers, including one who had been working in the Navy for forty years, purely because their family lives in Hong Kong, and. A guy with an incredibly British title, former First Sea Lord Admiral Lord West, <laughs> uh, who sounds like he should be a villain from a Metroidvania. Their uh, Lord is
2: in there twice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, told the Sun, quote, if it is a question of security, the Navy has no choice. But it's sad. As Chinese laundrymen have fought wars with us. Some have died for us, end quote. What
0: a ghoulish thing to say. You know, we have
1: no choice but to do the
0: racism, but it's also sad because, you know, they have fought and died, and but also the racism was necessary.
2: I mean, it's incredibly, like, it's <laughs> such a complicated web of types of racism that have all congealed together because you have, like, weird paternalism mixed with, like, straight-up uh, dehumanization. Like, it has, um... It has a very, like,
1: Johnny Quest kind of racist character to it. Well, and I love because even when he's doing the whole, oh, some of these these blokes have have fought and died for us, it's still they're not part of us Mm -hmm. despite them being in the Navy. It's just he, like, can't even conceptualize a reality where Chinese people are just people like anybody else. It's it's ridiculous because it's like they, they, I guess, decided like in the late 19th century that it would be uh, proper to allow Chinese workers into the Navy, but only as servants. And the fact that they've continued this practice up to 2023 and are only stopping because of, like you said, Lena, like this this, this McCarthyite uh, like witch hunt is just, it's wild. It's like you look at this country and you're like, oh, these are the people going around telling the rest of the world how to act and acting like they are on some fucking moral high ground. Meanwhile, they're still doing this like cartoonishly racist shit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it the story just begs so many questions like why did anybody ever think it was okay to specif- to specify in your regulations only Chinese workers in the laundry, essentially as like that they can only work as servants. And like How do they justify assuming someone's a security risk because they happen to be Chinese? And I think the most important question is, how does anyone take the United Kingdom fucking seriously? Like, it's a cartoon show. Like, Mm -hmm. fake country. Well, yeah, and also, like,
2: in so many ways, this also feels like the prelude to like kicking out foreign students from all universities that might be from countries that are hostile to our national interests you know read mostly china is probably what they're concerned with and like opening the it's it's so interesting to be like we finally closed the door on this racism policy to do more modernized more effective forms of racism right
0: Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely absurd, and I mean, especially in the military, there is a uh, long history in the West of uh, deep racism and and all sorts of fucked up practices. I'm sure that there are even more that are still being used today that are institutionalized in this way, and... uh, I mean, yeah, it's just just absurd. But I guess to move to our our first um, more labory topic, we're gonna uh, talk a little bit about Bandcamp, and we talked about how the uh, you know Bandcamp was originally bought by Epic, and then uh, then it has recently been sold to Songtrader, and I mean. There has been a really awful response from them. They fired the bargaining committee and a bunch of other workers, and we talked about that already. But we are specifically coming here today to talk about uh, a, a manager, uh, J. Edward Keys, who decided it was appropriate to just t- to do the to do the baristas aren't workers, but on Bandcamp workers here
1: yeah like i just like i threw this in here this isn't really a news story like none of this changes on the conditions you know that band camp workers are facing whether they're the folks the half of the staff that have been laid off or the folks that are now there under new management but i really just wanted to highlight what a big piece of shit so many people in management are uh and i thought this guy is a really good example
2: (laughs) oh yeah well 404 brought us some really uh interesting quotes from this fucking piece of shit and they're like really brain bending because he there's this weird game of position he's trying to play in these quotes. And there's really nothing better to do than read them to you. Uh, he says quote there is a strong piece in white collar tech workers who make north of 70k a year appropriating the language of the legitimately oppressed for anyone with the guts to write it and he writes this in an Instagram stories post shortly after (laughs) Bandcamp workers voted 31 to 7 in favor of forming a union and it's absolutely shocking that somebody in a position like J. Edward Keyes could come out and be like actually people who make 70k a year need to shut their mouths and only people who make 25k a Year, can ever speak in the language of the oppressed. Meanwhile, how much does fucking J. Edward Keyes make, bro? <laughs> probably, right. probably a million fucking dollars.
0: Yeah, and then like he followed that up with a TLDR, fuck Bandcamp United. And I mean like this is just classic manager behavior. And then that- I mean as and he just I think pointing out that he wrote this on uh, in Instagram stories also highlights the deep irony of the way that he kind of uh attacks the the pitchfork article which describes how, you know, the sale of Bandcamp was destroying it, Uh, where he then responded to that Pitchfork article saying, quote, Please fucking stop writing things about my website, you absolute amateur journalists, And quote. And then, I mean, uh, continuing, there was a a quote saying, quote, Your childish Twitter-based reporting is hurting people who work here. I'll finish the quote you are children filing reports based on tweets and you have ruined my week also fuck pitchfork forever you are an anti-intellectual joke and you're the enemy <laughs> and you're and and i'm your enemy for life and quote and I, I just had to i almost i i kind of did stop in a bunch of spots in that quote because of how absolutely ludicrous it is just like twitter based this is actually i've seen this so many times where people uh do kind of live, It's like oh you're just very online you don't actually have any concern uh you're ruining my week you're ru- you're ruining this company motherfucker you just fired half your staff
2: yeah it reminds me of the <laughs> his his tone in the whole thing reminds me of the famous drill tweet and another thing i'm not mad please don't put in the newspaper that i got mad
1: <laughs> <laughs> well and it's it's also it's just it's like your reporting is hurting the people who work here and by the people I work here I work here I mean me specifically because <laughs> yeah like Sure, me and the managers who fired half the staff are the only ones actually hurting the workers, but I wanted to do that without having to feel bad about it, and you're now telling people that I did that, and that means like people know that I'm a piece of shit, and I was hoping to conceal that from people, so I'd really appreciate it if you would stop. That's my yeah. translation <laughs> of his idiotic comments.
2: I mean, also just the whiplash to go from literally right next to each other. You are an anti-intellectual joke and I'm your enemy for life. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing nothing says more like a cool and calm intellectual fella than saying I'm your enemy for life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it's also, it's just like, man, like you just gave the simplest explanation I could ever show anyone for why the people at Bandcamp needed a union so badly in the first place. Mm -hmm. If they had to work for you, (laughs) like come the fuck on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just really just wanted to highlight like what a shame this whole thing is and and shouts out to the Bandcamp United folks. uh, You really deserved a hell of a lot better than this fucking loser. Absolutely. And, you
0: know, I'm now seeing kind of a deep irony in our cold open with our advertisement for the new (laughs) Mario game with this next story that we're going to be telling.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that was going to kind of be my uh, my sort of transition <laughs> here, which is that, you know, so I gave you the good news about Nintendo in the cold open. Let's talk <laughs> about the bad news. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. So as long as we're talking about companies that think their employees should be more grateful for what they have... Uh, Nintendo also seems to be pursuing this argument in the face of the unprecedented surge in unionizing and gaming that we've seen over the last couple of years. We've seen several small firms recognize their union staff, we've seen workers at Activision Blizzard launch a major movement to unionize, and we've seen Microsoft agree to a neutrality agreement with the CWA. But... One company where we haven't heard a lot of labor organizing has been Nintendo of America, home of Bowser. And to hear them tell it, (laughs) the reason is how much all their workers love their jobs. It's just, I got to tell you, my uncle works at Nintendo. (laughs) And it's a great... (laughs) I can't even finish the joke. In an interview last week reported by Eurogamer, Nintendo of America CEO Doug Bowser said, quote, You only have to look at our retention numbers, which are very, very high within the industry, and our obviously low turnover rate as a result. Our focus has always been on creating a culture that's inclusive, has a work-life balance, and is focused on our singular mission of bringing smiles to faces. Everyone has the right to form a union, and certainly in the future, wherever it takes us, we'll respect that, but we're very much focused right now on how to create the best work culture and environment we possibly can. And here, quote. See,
0: folks, you know, our turnover rate, it's wonderful. It's great. It's one of the best out there. And also the
1: people here, they love it. They love it here, folks.
2: <laughs> we're going to get your uncle a ping pong table,
1: stat. <laughs> well, I, and, and, you know, leaving off the other thing that they're focused on, which is suing every sort of fan creation into the dirt oh yeah. yeah and
2: not just that also like suing in em- former employees former contractors former smaller companies that they contracted out to develop games for them publishers <laughs> yeah. nintendo will sue anyone they'll sue the u.s government they don't give a shit <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's ridiculous and because it, it like to your point like when you mentioned contractors because i think that was one of the things you know Cause this was coming out of like a story in Eurogamer where, you know, mm-hmm. this interview with, with Doug Bowser, you know, talking about basically the state of the industry in the U S is there's been a big push for unionizing in many other places, you know, Activision blizzard now owned by Microsoft being uh, one of the most prominent, but you know, this whole image that they're projecting of like, it's a lot like the early 2000s.com company image of like, no, it's great. Everybody plays Mario Kart all day and it's wonderful. And nobody has any complaints. But, like, in reality, when people have gone and actually examined the working conditions or just talked to the actual fucking workers themselves, <laughs> uh, which I would encourage any journalist to do on any story like this, <laughs> they discovered that, you know what, working at Nintendo has a lot of parallels with every other, uh, like, tech or game industry company. Gas, And a, <laughs> a big part of that is the divide between, like, full-time employees of the company and the massive quantity of contractors that they also use. And we you know, we've seen that at Google at uh, Amazon, it's at basically every major tech company you have this sort of like in-house class divide between these different types of workers and like as Eurogamer had pointed out last year, a QA worker contracted by Nintendo was fired for trying to organize their coworkers. So this whole comment of like, you know, where he said everyone has the right to form the union and certainly in the future we'll respect that. I mean, maybe he was being very literal about in the future we'll (laughs) respect that. We didn't respect it in the past, but please don't ask us about that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, what we we really we really squashed that one. It's not going to happen again. So we'll respect it in the future.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's also (laughs) kind of funny because it's like you know they go to the these extreme lengths to create this in group of like full time employees who maybe do actually have like somewhat decent conditions. I'm not really sure. And then they have this army of fucking contractors. And then they have the audacity to play the same fucking game that GameStop tries to play, where it's like, oh yeah, look, it might be a shitty job, but look here, take a game home for the night. Try out Billy. (laughs) Hatcher and the giant egg and see if you don't feel better at work tomorrow and like Starbucks does the same thing they shove a bunch of fucking coffee down your throat and they're like oh you got this for free you get a pound a week aren't you happy and it's like I don't know. It 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 really puts a lie to the idea that there's like any meaningful qualitative difference between these techniques, no matter what industry mm-hmm. they're leveraged in. Because we just did the story where they're like, "You're making 70k a year. You should be so fucking happy." Meanwhile, 70k a year isn't <laughs> going to get you very much in any major city in America
1: these in days. In any major city, that's like you're barely like paying your rent at an apartment. Right. That. You like, can't support a family. Like, no. <laughs> Certainly can't buy a fucking house. No. But, But the other thing, though, just to point out about Nintendo's past, uh, shall we say, aversion to union organizing, uh, they at the time claimed, oh, we didn't fire this, this tester for organizing, no, we fired them for revealing confidential information, which is definitely a different thing, and not just a blanket lie that we use to cover every time we break the law, um, (laughs) No, see, we we're incredibly litigious, and so you know this is just another example
0: of us being incredibly litigious.
2: Look, you wouldn't attack a job (laughs) creator who hires so many lawyers, would you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and and they and the thing, the other thing that puts that the light of that is that like, okay, well, if that's what happened, if they revealed confidential information, then why did you reach a settlement with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) where you agreed to inform workers that they have the right to organize? Sounds like you would only do that if you got caught trying to suppress workers' right to organize.
2: Whoa, 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 Dan. Settlements are not an an admission of guilt. That is expressly <laughs> the point of a settlement.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's ridiculous. And there have been multiple investigations by various, like, games journalism outlets, like IGN and Kotaku, who have looked into, you know, the the basically the class divide among workers at Nintendo, speaking with workers on both sides of it, um... And found that most of the contractors feel like they're treated as second-class citizens because of how much worse their working conditions are. In fact, they don't have access to, you know, a lot of the, the the areas of the places they're working that the other folks do. And so that also puts the lie to this idea that we have really high retention rates among our full-time employees. That means everyone who works here is happy. It's like that wouldn't be true even if you only had in-house staff. But the fact that half your workers are contractors who don't fall under that classification means it's a very convenient way to describe your workforce while leaving out some pretty important information.
2: Well, and also like that that divide between the workers creates a really terrible fucking work environment too because the idea that all of the people who are, you know, happy to – who have the – quote unquote good jobs and have been there for you know 20 something years and are part of the super high retention rate that they're all really happy or whatever because it's part of my job i go into workplaces all the time and like yeah the people who are like temps and contractors and stuff are miserable but the full-time employees who've been there for 25 years will spit right in your face if you ask them for the time of day because they're fucking miserable too they just can't leave
1: (laughs) yeah and so and i mean just to highlight you know some of the actual conditions you know that these workers face like Dur- when IGN did an investigation, uh, I think it was last year, they talked to some of the contractors, and they described conditions that were kind of reminiscent of Amazon, like where there's basically this culture of fear about being perceived as being idle or not diligently working every second of the day. Like where some workers start to the point where they were afraid of going getting up from their desk to go to the bathroom because they would show up as idle on the, uh, like... In-house communication system, and then they would get harassed by their boss. So some workers started doing the literally the gag from The Simpsons Mm -hmm. where you get like a little drinky, drinky bird that will tap your keyboard every once in a while when you get up to go use the bathroom. So it still says that you're online so that you won't get harassed by your boss and so and and the other thing they also mentioned is that worker social media, even when you know you're talking outside of the job, is constantly monitored and and has resulted in discipline of workers if they' are too critical or talk too much about working at Nintendo. And so it just creates this awful oppressive culture for these folks, and that doesn't really seem to square with Doug Bowser's picture of uniform happiness among Nintendo employees.
0: You know, you don't need to buy the fancy, like, little bird that auto- that hits a key every once in a while. You can actually just take, like, a-, a coaster and a mug and set it on your space bar with a notepad open, and generally that works, too. Nice. <laughs> We're giving people the Yeah, well, tips. look,
2: uh, Doug Bowser has promised to make it up to Nintendo employees by providing them all with complimentary drinky birds, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. A truly progressive workplace. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, to move to our next story, it appears that the recent strike by healthcare workers at Kaiser Permanente, Kaiser Permanente has inspired a wave of similar walkouts. Last week, workers at Prime Healthcare in California also walked out in protest protest of unsafe staffing levels. This week, healthcare workers at two more hospitals walked out to demand their employers hire enough workers to care for patients. A classic demand that happens literally every single time. On Monday, October 23rd, through 1300 healthcare workers at two facilities operated by Washington Company Peace Health walked out on a 5-day ULP strike. These workers are represented by Oregon Federation of Nursing and Health Professionals, an affiliate of the AFT Local
1: 5017. which I thought was interesting. I was just this is what I've seen a lot of different unions, you know, involved in in healthcare. This is the first time I've seen that be an AFT affiliate. I just thought that was interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the teachers yeah, yeah, you're right. That is interesting. Well,
2: it it, it kind of makes sense in a way. You'd think you'd see a lot more crossover between nursing and teaching because of the or healthcare and teaching because of the way they're both undo like totally ridiculously vilified in the media every time they ask for something. But who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: definitely. I mean, but I mean to to the story, the union has been in negotiations with Peace Health for months, but they haven't budged on fair wages. Uh, or staffing levels in addition when the union announced the strike vote the company canceled bargaining sessions in retaliation and announced plans to hire scabs and cut workers health insurance just really getting ahead of themselves just ready saying uh no i'm um, sorry we you you want to do anything to try to get your demands met how would you like a bunch of repression yeah
2: well it's also it's also an example of the company standing in front of a big red break the law button and pressing it every time they hear like a twig snap in the distance
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah, definitely definitely yeah and so i mean obviously you know uh, this has been cited as illegal retaliation by the union and the union filed ulps against peace health because of it and this struggle has already exposed peace health for having some of the same callous disregard for its patients health as it does for the incredibly overworked staff and i mean It's very, very apparent in just, like, how they just straight up went directly to retaliation instead of being like, okay, okay, we'll definitely bargain in good faith, as, like, a lot of companies try to do to cover their tracks when they're not. But the company announced their plan to bring on over 150 scabs, paying them $8,000 for the week, I mean, as per the union, and I mean, very believable. The union def- def- definitely is uh, can easily obtain this sort of information. And meanwhile, they've threatened to cut work. And like we, like I said before, meanwhile they have threatened to cut the workers' health care, as apparently healthcare industries love to do.
2: Yeah, well, and like we do this math. Every so often on the show But the 1,300 healthcare workers Walked out because of understaffing And then they were like Let's replace them with 150 scabs It's absolute fucking nonsense
0: Not only that The $8,000 per week is twice What was twice The Kaiser Permanente scab Mm -hmm. You know, wage So these uh, scab nurses Are being paid nearly four times The national average for scab nurses
1: Yeah, and I mean The more we study this whole thing or just cover it on the show, like the more it becomes clear that like, look, there are times where there are regional surges in healthcare demand and there's a necessity to be able to quickly like bring in support staff to help out workers in an area that's been affected by some sort of a crisis. But at this point, the primary purpose of the travel nurse industry is union busting. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that is its main function. And, like, I really think that should be highlighted as it's not like, oh, travel nursing, oh, it's just a different way for people to do. It's like, no, it's, a, it's to break up labor solidarity. That's really the whole point of that whole structure.
2: Well, yeah, because if if travel nurses were really meant to do the thing they're presented as doing, they would be operated by the unions.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because exactly. Well, because to – and who better? To, to allocate labor when mm-hmm. there's a crisis because who's being crushed the most during that crisis? It's the patients and the workers. And who is actually representing those interests? It's not, the, it's not fucking peace health and their <laughs> management who all they care about is getting you know, the next big dividend. It's the union. Like, and so, yeah, absolutely. They should be like, in charge of that, of that sort of you know, uh, distribution of labor around the country, which you could have if you had a centralized healthcare system run by the workers. Wild idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, speaking to this, the uh, lab lab professional uh, and president of the OFNHP, Jonathan Baker, told reporters from KGW-8, Quote, Instead of trying to solve these problems, they broke the law again by canceling our bargaining sessions in retaliation for exercising our legal rights and are choosing to terminate the health insurance that these workers depend on. This is a cruel form of collective punishment directed at a group of healthcare workers they previously called heroes when they were saving lives during the COVID-19 pandemic. End quote. And I mean, obviously, that again shows the lie that the heroes... uh, like tag was there for it was simply there of a pat on the back and no additional pay, benefits, or support. Because as soon as the workers say, Hey, we need better pay, benefits, and support, the healthcare owners, the owners of our healthcare, which is I think a fair way to portray that, uh say, No, fuck you. You need austerity.
2: Well, yeah, and like you know, obviously everybody deserves healthcare, everybody should get it, but it's particularly cruel to take it away from healthcare workers. I mean, that's just like evil, I suppose.
1: Well, I mean, it reminds me of the story we were doing. What's the, you'll both, what's the big um, healthcare company in Pittsburgh? Oh, UPMC. Yeah. Where we talked about, what is it? Like half the workers at UPMC have medical debt to UPMC. Uh Like it's just a, absolutely ridiculous situation yeah they were speaking to like makes no sense they
2: were speaking to people who'd worked there for like 15 years and were like cancer patients and were just drowning in debt and yeah Mm
0: -hmm. yeah it's 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 a crime is what it is Mm -hmm. uh currently the strike is planned to last just a week with workers returning on saturday but the actions that the company has you know levied show that this is probably going to be a much more, this is that the union is going to need to take a little bit stronger action and maybe even do a longer strike in order to actually get their demands met and have it so that the patients are actually receive the health care that they deserve from these health care workers. Because again, when you're understaffed, it's hard to actually care for all of the patients in a way that is fully like holistic, and I guess a, a, a one word that I could put it as,
1: yeah, and so like. In addition to those workers in uh, Washington who went on strike, we've also at the same time, same week, had a, a strike of 700 non-nursing healthcare workers in California at St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank, where they also launched a five-day strike against their employer, Providence Health. Which, by the way, I really don't like that there's a big uh, healthcare company called Providence because it makes it very difficult for me to search social media for news about the city that I live in. Um, especially because Providence Health is on the other side of the country. But uh, so these EMTs, lab techs and other vital workers at St. Joseph's, they're all members of the SEIU United healthcare workers West, which was one of the bigger, I think it's the single largest union that participated in the recent, uh, you know, largest healthcare worker strike ever at Kaiser Permanente. And, You know, once again, for these workers, I know we sound like a broken record, but it's because these issues are national, like these workers face essentially the same crisis that all the other healthcare workers are facing. Their hospital has been understaffed for years, resulting in high turnover and bad patient health outcomes. And workers are fighting for a contract that forces managers to commit to actually address these issues. But so far, all the company is offering is wage increases. And now, look, we do want them to get wage increases. And wage increases are a part of the equation to filling safe staffing. But ultimately, a lot of the times the reason we see this is because the company is willing to give up a little bit more money. To get you to stop organizing, while they have no intention, even if they put out, hey, you can, we have openings at these positions at this new higher pay rate, and they could just never fill them. Like we talked about with Kaiser Permanente, where they even set up a whole training program and they trained thousands of people and just refused to hire tons of them. And so, while it's very important, of course, to demand these wage increases, and they will theoretically, uh, you know, attract people to the positions. Ultimately, none of that actually forces the company to fill. Positions that they don't want to fill because they don't want to pay benefits and all the other things on top of it when they could just try giving the workers they do have a little bit more money to keep overworking them to the ridiculous extent that they're currently doing. And so uh, in a statement from the union, Christian Ion, a lead surgical technician at the hospital, said, quote, We are being intimidated and threatened for wanting to improve our hospital, while Providence executives bargain in bad faith over solutions to our short staffing crisis. This used to be a premier hospital, but we are struggling to give the quality care our patients deserve as we watch staff leave and positions go unfilled. We fight not just for ourselves, but for our patients that depend on us, end quote. And so... Much like with the the Washington strike at the Peace Health Facilities, Providence announced uh, earlier this week plans to operate using scabs during the strike. So much like with the other strike, I imagine that we'll probably have to see an escalation of action from the workers in order to actually force the company to recognize that they actually need to do something about the safe staffing crisis.
2: Absolutely. As we have been doing for quite a while on this show, next we're going to be following up with Starbucks Workers United, uh, which is providing a pretty interesting story because they're not just standing up as uh, some of the loudest voices uh, against genocide in the U.S. labor movement, which it has been awesome to see such a big and active union really mobilize and and take that you know what is unfortunately considered a political stance uh, and be on the right side of things there. But they're also continuing their fight against their union busting employer. Uh, so this week, Starbucks workers United announced their next nationwide day of action, a second Red Cups Rebellion on November sixteenth. Workers encourage supporters around the country to hold action at non-union stores and to show the workers that the community supports them and will stand with them if Starbucks retaliates for unionizing. So simultaneously, unionized workers, now nearly 10,000 strong, which is... that's... Almost kind of hard to believe. It's really great. But uh, they're going to launch ULP strikes at stores all over the U.S. to demand Starbucks cease its unending war against its own workers and bargain in good faith. And in order to do this, the union has launched a website for supporters to sign up to attend one of these events near them or to stage their own. There's also an organizing call specifically aimed at helping college students who want to support Starbucks workers on their campuses, which will be on Thursday, November 9th at 8 p.m. And there will be links to all of these in the episode description so starbucks workers united just really kind of firing on all cylinders here mm-hmm. <laughs> i really uh 10 out of 10 no notes right now so
0: they did say that this is planned to be their largest action yet They Mm -hmm. are really ramping it up because they have been constantly pushed down by the repression of Starbucks. And no matter who their, you know, their ghoul is at the top, they are not stopping with any of these union busting tactics. And the workers are forced into this position of, you know, actually having people do actions at non-unionized stores i mean i originally i remember when they were like well no we're not going to do non-unionized stores yet because we don't want to have them like start sending union busters to stores that might not have that to scare people who aren't inoculated but at this point they have been like the the campaign is clear it mm-hmm. starbucks is doing doing crimes i'm not actually i shouldn't even equivocate that because they are literally doing crimes but like really it's it's time to stand with starbucks workers here and so you know follow that link in the show notes
1: yeah and like just so folks know like even though you know obviously there's been far fewer stores that have filed for election this year compared to last year that's largely just because the numbers we saw last year were like unprecedented Mm -hmm. (laughs) um they're still every week Uh, There are new stores filing for union election, new stores winning elections. So the drive continues. Uh, and definitely, you know, on November 16th when this uh, happens, whether you've got a union store near you who is going to go on strike who you can support or a non-union store where you could go out and show that the community st- supports the workers and, you know, help boost that confidence that they might have to organize, uh, there's opportunities considering there's 9,000 stores all over mm-hmm. the country uh, for folks to really show their support either way. Uh, but one real quick thing, I, you know, while we're talking about cafe workers – Just wanted to have a very quick update for folks from last week's episode uh, where uh, y'all talked about the union drive by workers in Maine at the uh, Portland cafe chain, Coffee by Design. And this week we had a quick update. Uh, They did have their card check and the... Owners have voluntarily recognized the union at all three stores. So, all three workers will now officially be unionized and represented by LIUNA Local 327. So, congratulations to those workers. And, you know, we look forward to hearing about a successful first contract negotiation in the future
0: yeah absolutely congratulations to them and then also uh kind of in what we do not get to follow up on very often is kind of the legal the legal goings on of labor law here in the united states where the nlrb has Issued a new, de- stronger definition on joint employers. And this is going to be very important for a couple different industries. But I mean, we talk as often as we can about how weaker, weak labor law is here in the United States. And one of the biggest uh, problems being that of the ability for huge companies to abuse the label of independent contractors to get out of any responsibility for their employees whatsoever. This week, the NLRB finally did issue a new rule clarifying the definition of a joint employer arrangement aimed at preventing corporations from, you know, like McDonald's and Amazon and XPO Logistics from mislabeling their workers as contractors. Uh, In a press release announcing the rule change, the NLRB explained, quote, under the new standard, an entity may be considered a joint employer of a group of employees if each entity has an employment relationship with the employees. And they share or uh, co-determine one or more of the employee's essential terms of of conditions of employment, which are defined exclusively as, and they say exclusively as, and then list a huge number of Mm -hmm. things. And I'm going to go over that right now. One, wages, benefits, and other compensation. Two, hours of working and scheduling. Three, the assignment of duties to be performed. Four, the supervision or performance of duties. Five work rules and direction governing the manner means and method of performing duties on the grounds for discipline six the tenure of employment including hiring and discharge amazon uh and seven working conditions related to the safety and health of employees end quote that is literally like all like i don't know what are we
1: missing from that list are we missing something from that list well it's I mean it's it's important because like this is the thing it's like the the cuz the previous rule which was issued in 2020 just before the end of the Trump administration which made it easier for companies to evade responsibility it it, it listed that the 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 joint employer must have quote substantial, direct, and immediate control mm-hmm. over workers' conditions, which was basically interpreted as if a, an employee of, a direct employee of Amazon is not the direct supervisor of an Amazon delivery driver, then even though the fact that the company controls every single one of those seven categories that you listed, Lena, well, because it's not an Amazon employee directly telling them it's the owner of the DSP who is getting it from an Amazon employee, mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, therefore, Amazon's not a joint employer, which is, of course, ridiculous.
2: So, so the functional bit of language in this is the uh, has an employment relationship with the employees and they share or co-determine one or more of the employees' essential terms and conditions of employment.
1: Yeah, and the fact that it's one or more, right. not all of them. You don't have to do this torturous test where Amazon can be like, oh, we don't set... When you fire an individual, we said all these other things, but not that. So you can't count us as a joint employer. It's literally, it's just like Except any for of these things.
0: In Amazon's case, they do determine if people are fired. In Amazon's yes.
2: case, they determine literally every single one of these conditions. <laughs> there is not one thing on this list that Amazon does not directly or indirectly control through contractors.
0: Well, yeah. and when I think about places like McDonald's, I mean the assignment of duties to be performed, I mean the uh, work rules and direction governing the manner, means, and methods of those duties performed. Uh, and the grounds for discipline i mean there there's that there's the hours and scheduling well maybe not hours and scheduling but wages benefits and other compensation are definitely on there it, it's very easy so that 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 basically
1: destroys the franchise franchisee model right What? Well, especially item five work rules and directions mm-hmm. governing the manner means and methods of the performance of duties and the grounds for discipline that's i don't i can't think of a franchise where the 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 franchise corporation does not control those things. Like yeah. that's kind of the definition of what a franchise is, which is good because the whole concept of franchising, the whole, again, the only reason it exists is to evade labor law. So the fact that that part of this more or less eliminates the ability, or should, and we'll get into that, mm-hmm. should eliminate the ability of of companies to hide behind the franchise system is one of the like biggest potential benefits of this change. Yeah,
2: because that's like uh, uniforms and like company mm-hmm. branding around the store and. And making employees say like the weird company motto when they greet customers and stuff. So,
1: right, exactly.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the, hopefully, this leads to a, a much easier unionization process for many people who end up at these franchisees or subcontractor companies. And I mean, the Teamsters themselves have been very excited about this. And I guess not only them, we shouldn't be surprised about this, but the USSW as well with, you know, mm-hmm. concerning around food work and and all that, as we talked about, you know, just McDonald's is one example. But there are literally all of the other fast food companies as well who fall into this uh, category. But we do have a quote from Sean O'Brien.
2: Yeah, so Sean O'Brien, uh, obviously president of the Teamsters, said on October 27th, quote, For too long, multinational conglomerates have been hiding behind subcontracting and outsourcing so they can dodge accountability and deprive workers of their full employment rights under the law. This is the whole reason Amazon implemented its delivery service provider model, to avoid the burdens of liability, responsibility, and justice. Franchises and independent contractors were not created so deep-pocketed tycoons could write off the debts they owe to society and their workers. We're glad the federal government is recognizing that. Most importantly, if this rule is properly applied, It should guarantee corporations like Amazon cannot avoid their obligation to collectively bargain with their workers when they choose to join a union. End quote. Uh, The only critique is that franchises and independent contractors were actually created, yes. so deep-pocketed tycoons could write off debts. That's specifically the reason for their origin.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, what, it's a pass, like he's making a general statement for mm-hmm. the general public, but yeah, like from a history perspective, it's like, no, that is why those concepts were yeah. created, but it doesn't really matter. Like, uh, you know, this, this has a lot of potential, like this could really change how organizing is done and it, it could be a breakthrough for organizing and fast food. It could really help break open the dam for like groups like the teamsters to organize Amazon delivery drivers. But I do think that we should be realistic about the limitations of this rule change. Uh, first off that it's a rule change and not a law, which means that it could immediately, well not immediately, but it can, there can be a process gone through by any future administration to change it again Uh, so like it's got that as a, as a real liability, because if you bring in a more, an even further right wing government, uh, that they could just say, oh, actually, no, we're just going to revert back the 2020 rule. And that's Mm -hmm. like one of the core weaknesses, you know, of the NLRB in general. We also don't know exactly how it's going to be enforced because the very first time, you know, that this gets invoked. Against a company like Amazon or McDonald's or anybody else, they're assuredly going to challenge it in court, and we're going to have to see how the the judges in our justice system uh, interpret this rule. And so, you know, well, we're going to have to see, but but there's a lot of potential here, and so we'll definitely be on the lookout. Kind of like with like the Semex Barg like decision. Mm-hmm to see how this plays out and what level of an impact that it makes yeah Yeah,
0: it's always the case with these NLRB rulings that we do have to see to how well they are actually held up and I mean that requires our unions to actually make sure that they are they are upheld now we have talked about so many different industries in this episode and we're going to continue with another one that we've talked about many times and that is college workers like university workers and I mean, there have been tons of landslide wins for student workers across U.S. colleges and universities. But I mean, this also just not just limited to graduate students. This week, undergraduate students at Harvard University voted nearly unanimously, 153 to 1, in favor of unionizing with the UAW. The new union, Harvard Undergraduate Workers Union, UAW, represents 400 student workers in the school libraries, cafes, pubs, and administrative offices. Uh, HUWU, UAW, (laughs) will will work closely with its fellow workers at the uh, HGSU, or the um, Graduate Student Workers, as they are affiliated with the exact same local UAW 5118. And share an executive committee. This close relationship will allow undergraduate workers and graduate students to work and uh, graduate student workers alike to act in concert and use their unity to increase their leverage." Uh, one notable exception, uh, keeping the unions from being truly a wall-to-wall union, is that the workers will be forced to separate academic workers, like undergraduate workers in academic offices, as well as non-tenure-track non faculty, into separate bargaining units. Efforts are underway to organize both groups of workers.
1: Yeah, so this is really cool. Um <laughs> always amusing when you see one person standing against you <laughs> yeah which is just like oh hey i found the least popular person in the office
2: <laughs> like, yeah because i know it's like anonymous when they get the when they get the results back and everyone's like 153 to one do you think they're all wondering who that person is or do you think they all know immediately
0: <laughs> i think they all know <laughs> Although I mean the only reason I think that it's possible they don't is because when someone when like there's that grand unity, sometimes that person who's against it just like cowers in a corner. like they
2: learned to shut you, up a long time ago maybe is what you're uh-huh. saying <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly exactly. So I mean maybe they uh, just voted and uh, you know have have hidden themselves away.
2: Yeah, it was literally yeah. just one libertarian guy who's like, "I got to vote my conscience." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I did want to point out, you know, when I was reading, and the this is all our stuff on this is coming from the student newspaper at Harvard, the Harvard Crimson, which did a really good job reporting on it, uh, was that they noted that you know you'd see 153 to one as close as you need, unanimous as you can get. You figure, oh, this must have been a cakewalk organizing, but they did have some challenges, including the fact that when they went to the university to get the, uh, when they went and applied for their union and they were required to be given the official voter rolls, basically the listing of everybody employed in the bargaining unit, uh, by the school, uh, the school gave them a list that, in, that had a lot of the people listed by their dead names. And so it made it extremely difficult for the union to then reach out to trans workers because they didn't actually have the, person's correct name even though the university absolutely has their correct name for processing in their system it's fucking harvard they like know how to handle this and so they just clearly tried to make this harder on the union by giving them this shitty list that doesn't have their workers' correct names on it
0: yeah and i mean like that's also an attempt to divide the workers to mm-hmm. uh you know have them have to try to confront Uh, correcting these names which can be really really like traumatizing for trans people in general to have to deal with that sort of thing because like when you are when you're finally in a group where people are like oh really accepting you and and like you have your your proper name uh you know constantly respected and then suddenly out of nowhere you hear that thing i mean it it can be very jarring and, and honestly traumatizing
1: yeah so uh I don't want us to come across that despite the fact that there was you know, this huge unity, easy win, uh, it, the administration was clearly still trying to fight this as much as they could, including in some of these really gross, underhanded ways. But now that they've won their union, the workers told the Harvard Crimson that the, the things they intend to focus on in their bargaining will be higher pay job stability, and transparency from management about hirings and firings, because I guess apparently that is pretty arbitrary right now uh, for a lot of these undergraduate workers. And uh, talking with the Crimson organizers said they have no illusions about it being an an easy negotiation process for a first contract, and they expect similar union busting and hard bargaining experienced by the grad student workers that they had to fight through to win their first contract.
0: Yeah. Well, so solidarity with them and also solidarity with our next group because they are also undergraduate student workers that have won their union in a landslide win as well. So this is at the University of Oregon, which is, I've learned, one of the largest universities in the country. Mm -hmm. They won their first wall-to-wall undergraduate student workers union in the country. Following a two-year organizing effort this week, the votes were tallied and workers voted overwhelmingly 1,055 to 30, with a 97% margin in favor of the union. And the bargaining union itself covers 4,000 workers in total. The new union, the University of Oregon Student Workers, uh, U- UOSW, covers almost every single undergraduate employee at the university from food service workers to research assistants to RAs and dorms just about every undergrad worker and they'll be all in the same organization the University of Oregon with its uh, over 20,000 students as I mentioned mm-hmm. is th- like the largest university in the country and this wall-to-wall oh. union it just bodes great for their ability to bargain for their contract
1: well, they're not. Just a quick correction: they're not the largest union in the country. They're the w- largest university to now have a wall-to-wall student union. But they are—they are a very big university. Twenty thousand students is a big enrollment. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: I think if I'm not mistaken, um, OSU or yeah. University of Oregon has um, a really, really high number of online students. They run one of the biggest mm. like uh, web schooling uh, academies in the country. When my wife was signing up for uh, education. Uh, further education classes, OSU was, like, providing most of the courses.
0: Interesting, interesting. Well, and as reported by the student paper The Daily Emerald, now they have. Now that they have won their union, workers say that they plan to fight for higher wages, a two-week pay period, increased protection for international students, free meals during shifts, and more. And I mean that two-week pay period is almost like many of the other stories we've covered. I'm almost certain in that they get paid like at the very, the very like longest you can possibly ever pay workers, which is 30 days. And I'm sure right. in certain cases that even goes longer, depending on different little circumstances, which can leave people without the ability to pay rent
1: yeah i mean i admit i've always been at every job i've had i've always had a two-week pay period so i was honestly in my naivete blown away the first time like so i talked to somebody who's like no i only get paid once a month i was like what
0: yeah it's absolutely <laughs> <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous yeah and i mean especially when it comes to these younger people who are still learning budgeting i mean not that all undergrads are, are young people but many of them are and honestly when you're that young you're, you're probably not that good at budgeting. Maybe some people are, but I definitely wasn't. And so to have a month's worth of pay and you have to make it stretch the whole month, that's very difficult.
1: Yeah. So congratulations to the the workers at Oregon and at Harvard. Love to see this. And love to see this trend of workers specifically fighting for wall-to-wall unions and trying to break down those artificial barriers between different groups of workers. That's a very encouraging sign uh, of rising class consciousness. So... Love to see that. But speaking of rising class consciousness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We got to talk about what we have been talking about at the end of every
0: episode these days, the stand-up strike by the UAW against the Big Three.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the the stand-up strike continues to be the biggest story in labor with one of the biggest industrial unions in the country fighting all three of the Big Three US-based automakers at the same time and so last week during the uaw's friday afternoon member update live stream president sean Fain made it clear that the union was not happy with the slow progress being made at the big three and that they weren't going to basically just let the companies continue to wait around for the friday live stream and then just give a last minute update to their uh proposal in order to evade getting new plants going on strike uh basically a big part of this is that like the whole reason the stand-up strike strategy works is it keeps the companies off balance. So if they're allowed to get into a pattern, then that decreases the effectiveness of the strike. And so this week, the union changed that up in a big way. <laughs> they, they did not wait around to put that declaration to practice. And on Monday, October 23rd, 6,800 workers with UAW Local 1,700 at Stellantis' Sterling Heights Assembly Plant in Michigan joined 33,000 of their colleagues in standing up and joining the strike. Like, And one of the things I thought was cool with this one is that President Fain greeted workers personally as they walked out of the gate and onto the picket lines, handing people signs, having chats with folks about the strike. That was, there's some really cool videos that came out of that. Uh, A lot of very excited people walking out of the gate, which we love to see.
0: Yeah, and they've Um, also put out a bunch of, like, higher production videos that look really cool. But just briefly before we move to the next part of this, I want to talk about the the, uh, variety engineering that is coming out of this because, honestly, it is, is really cool the way that they started by creating a structure that then they started to see the the companies be like okay i understand i gotta come on friday and then the uaw is like okay you're getting comfy how about something new
2: yeah yeah i mean i would almost compare it even more to like john boyd's uda loop where it's like as soon as you notice that your your enemy is like confident in their activity the first thing you should do is undermine their confidence in doing that next Mm -hmm. thing
1: yeah absolutely and so like uh, this plant, specifically the Sterling Heights assembly plant is Stellantis's largest and maybe, I saw differing reports mm-hmm. on this, uh, their most profitable factory in the country uh, because it produces the extremely lucrative Ram series of pickups, which everybody sees all over the place. If, you know, somebody, if you see a giant truck and it's not an F-150, it's probably a Ram. Uh, and it's by far Stellantis's best-selling vehicles in the United States. And, Sean Fain explained that while Solanus had made some progress at the bargaining table, they continued to lag behind both Ford and GM in the dollar value of their proposals. And so to encourage them to rectify that situation, uh, the union decided to make sure that they would pay attention and uh, took their biggest and most profitable plant out of business.
2: Hell yeah.
1: And so in a statement announcing the expansion of the strike, the union said, quote, Despite having the highest revenue, the highest profits, North American and global, the highest profit margins, and the most cash in reserve, Stellantis lags behind both Ford and General Motors in addressing the demands of their UAW workforce. Currently, Stellantis has the worst proposal on the table regarding wage progression, temporary worker pay, and conversion to full-time, cost-of-living adjustments, COLA, and more, end quote. So, call the that, fuck out.
0: Yeah, and I think that that was also pretty apparent. Just the when we presented the updates on bargaining last week, that Stellantis was clearly the furthest behind, and also doing some of the more uh, aggressive repression of people on the picket lines.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were the first ones, I believe, to hire uh, armed guards uh, to harass workers on the picket line. They've been, I think, they were the first to start using scabs at the the parts distribution centers mm-hmm. from their white collar workforce. So, yeah, they've been particularly aggressive in trying to combat the strike. And uh, so the UAW has escalated in turn. And so, you know, local 1,700 members actually told Labor Notes reporters that they've been eagerly awaiting the call to join the strike. Uh, Their local, I guess, is actually particularly militant. They specifically rejected the 2015 national contract with Chrysler, which forced the UAW negotiators, part of the admin caucus at the time, to go back to the table and improve the deal uh charles archard who's a steward at the plant told labor notes quote some of the younger people have been bugging us every day wondering when we were going to go out we understand general motors and ford came to the table with some more concessions and Stellanis didn't want to do it so we hit him where it hurt end quote (laughs) i love a militant
0: local and honestly that's what we're going to need to see and i don't i'm yeah otherwise i don't want to jump the gun on the rest of the news because i got some opinions
2: it is it is just kind of fun to imagine that like all of the the younger folks are just like running up and they're like when do we get to go on strike? I want to stand <laughs> up. I want to walk out of this motherfucker.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, and well and that though I think is another one of the the it's another one of the powerful attributes of this type of tactic. Yes. Is is it makes it just engaging because it's not you have one moment where the whole union walks out And then you kind of got weeks where you're out there on the line, making the economic pain hurt. You've got changes every week, potentially every day with this strategy. So it keeps the whole thing fresh and, and keeps everybody excited about what's going on. Um, and so, you know, Unsurprisingly, the move to knock the companies out of their complacency was not welcomed by Stellantis management. Uh, they told the Detroit Free Press the move, quote, outraged them, <laughs> okay. and blamed the union for inflicting damage to the local economy. Uh, according to some economic a- analysts, if the strike continues without the companies offering a deal workers can accept, the big three stand to lose at least $500 million each by the end of the year. And Stellantis being the most profitable of the three, uh, them being
0: outraged about damage to the local economy. Motherfucker, you are the one damaging the local economy.
2: Yeah. yeah. What What fucking standing do you have to be outraged? Like you, Everything you do is an outrage.
1: Yeah, like, they're destroying the economy. Aren't you the ones paying temps $15 an hour? Aren't you the ones forcing people to work as temps for years and years? Aren't you the ones doing all this shit? <laughs> like, But It wasn't just Stellantis, you know, getting a nudge this week by the union. Very next day, on Tuesday the 24th, GM got its own wake-up call. And on Tuesday morning, workers at GM's largest and most profitable plant, Arlington Assembly in Texas, joined the workers at Ford and Stellantis on strike. Like Sterling Heights Assembly and Kentucky Truck from last week or a couple weeks ago, uh, Arlington Assembly makes giant trucks and SUVs that bring in huge profits for GM. It assembles... Uh, Chevy Tahoes, Chevy Suburbans and the Cadillac Escalade which all carry premium price tags and very high profit margins uh, which I will just add a personal comment. I hope this plant is shut down for a very long time because I hate these giant vehicles because they make it impossible for me to park at work.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's also really interesting that this is the point in the stand-up strike where they feel like, okay, let's target the hyper-profitable oversized vehicle part of the industry because it's it's you know, from a tactical standpoint, it's like, this is a really, really hard blow. Like you are punching them right in the fucking stomach. And mm-hmm. beyond this, I mean, anything more than this, like there's still plenty of places to strike left in reserve. But like when you strike the rest of them beyond taking away their most profitable products, you're basically saying like, okay, this is the point where we're just like choking you out now. Like <laughs> your business is gone yeah. after this.
1: Yeah. And, and the union, you know, announcing their escalation, they limbasted Uh, GM for dragging its feet on improving its offer while at the same time announcing record third quarter earnings of $3.5 billion, uh, saying, quote, GM's offer lags behind Ford, proposing a two-tier wage progression, the weakest 401k contribution offer on the table, and a deficient COLA and other shortcomings, end quote. And, the 5,000 workers at Arlington bring, although I wrote this in the present tense, the time is now past tense, brought the total number of UAW workers on strike to about 46,000. And, you know, workers who spoke with Labor Notes at the the Arlington assembly plant uh, explained that that plant has been on a mandatory six-day work week for years, uh, like in order to hit production goals. Uh, One worker, Tiffany Martin, told Labor Notes, that despite the fact that she has to work already in her full time position six out six day weeks every day, I think they said for like a decade that it's been operating on this schedule, she still doesn't make enough money despite the mandatory OT in order to pay for her bills. And so she has to work a second job as a custodian at the plant that she already works at. So, on well, top of the fact that she already has to work six days a week, so this lady is like
2: routinely putting in 70. 70- plus hours mm-hmm. probably closer to 80 hours a week at this place
1: yeah and, and and the companies have the balls to come out here and blame the union for economic damage when this is the stuff that they do to all of their workers all the time yeah just utter yeah.
2: detachment from reality
1: Yeah, they could improve the local
0: economy by paying the workers well, ending this mandatory overtime and hiring enough people to fill all these positions from the community, giving more people money to actually stimulate the
1: local economy
0: if they really cared so much about that kind of thing in the first place.
1: And it's especially ironic to hear this is specifically in this case when we're talking about auto workers, because this isn't theoretical in the case of auto work. We've seen what happens. Detroit was a boom town when you were paying workers a decent wage, not as much as they should have been paid and they still should have been in charge of the company, but they were paid a hell of a lot more than they're paid now. And Detroit was a thriving city. And and when the companies decided, fuck that, Let's outsource a huge number of manufacturing jobs in order to increase our profits while at the same time using more and more automation in the plants that we keep in the United States and then forcing concessionary contract after concessionary contract onto the UAW in order to worsen the, the conditions. And what happened to Detroit? Like what has happened to the economy of Michigan? And everything that has happened in there is the fault of the companies. So like it's not theoretical here. We've seen this happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually out here in Detroit today. And people care a lot about this shit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it used to be a fucking cultural capital of the country until it was deliberately destroyed by corporations and their friends in the government.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a, actually, uh, Michael Moore did a really, really mm-hmm. good uh, documentary uh, about that. Um,
2: Michael Moore, classic Michigan guy, makes great points sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's, a, that's a good way of describing it. <laughs> But... Uh, One other thing, though, this strike has actually had ripple effects around the world, uh, which has forced other workers in other countries to take action. Uh, On last Saturday, October 21st, GM informed Brazilian autoworkers over Telegram that they would immediately begin laying off workers at plants in Sao Paulo. In response, on Monday, the workers' union, uh, I believe the metal workers' union, announced a strike at three GM plants in protest of the firings. About 4,000 workers operate the three plants, building engines and transmissions for trucks and SUVs. And GM announced the layoffs that would affect over a quarter of these workers, a, a total of 1,200 jobs. So this isn't like they're laying off 20 people. Mm-hmm. like it's, it's a big chunk of the workforce. And the union contract that these workers have with GM stated in black and white that the company was not allowed to do any major layoffs until the contract expires in May of next year. And so really, this is a strike against GM for breaking their own contract. And in a statement, the Brazilian Metalworkers Workers Union said that the strikes will continue until the layoffs are canceled and GM agrees to abide by the job security provisions of their contract.
0: That is an incredibly strong statement and, I mean, makes me think that uh, GM is going to have to give in on this, especially as the strikes here in the Imperial Corps are ramping up and really the solidarity across the, the, the world is ramping up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw I saw like solidarity messages that were coming into the UAW from I believe workers in Bangladesh. It's been really like cool to see the the attention that this strike has gotten from workers around the world. But getting to the part of the this discussion that I'm sure many of our listeners have been waiting for because we had a lot of news early in the week uh for the UAW this week. Uh, I've been talking a lot about GM and Stellantis, and I haven't talked a lot about Ford, and there's a reason for that, which is that after those escalations on Monday and Tuesday, where the UAW took both GM and Stellantis' biggest, most profitable plants out of commission, Wednesday we got another major announcement, but not a new strike. It, It was that they have reached a tentative agreement with Ford. Uh, President Fein said that Ford made major moves in the early days of this week to get a deal in order to prevent another major plant, likely the River Rouge facility, a legendary plant uh, uh, that has long figured in the history of the UAW. And just organization for auto workers in this country generally. That fear of that plant being shut down on top of Kentucky Truck on, on top of all the other plants that have already been shut down really forced Ford to come back to the table and agree to terms that the union bargaining team uh, feel were are good enough to actually put to the members for a vote. So uh, going to break down what we have so far. I will say, as a caveat, the, all the details have not yet been released. Uh, we ha- what we have right now is basically a summary that we've been given by the union. Uh, all of the details are being released to the membership this weekend. So uh, by the time folks listen to this on Monday, there will be more details out, and I'm sure there will be plenty of discussion. But what we know about the tentative agreement so far is that the New Deal is is said to add four times the gains made in the 2019 uh, Collective Bargaining Agreement. It includes base pay increases of 25% over the four and a half year contract. Uh, and that's for all workers currently on the deal. However, I, to really characterize the actual wage gains in this, you also have to take into account that the tentative agreement includes a full restoration of 2009-era cola, which was lost you know, during the government-involved uh, bailouts of the auto industry. And so by getting that COLA, that cost of living adjustment back to help deal with inflation, really what we're looking at is that these workers will see uh, pay rises of between 33% over the life of the contract for the P- for workers who are already at top rate to just over $40 an hour, and of 68% for workers at the starting rate, which will rise by the end of the contract to $28 an hour. Uh, current temps with Ford will see raises of over 150% over the life of the deal, uh, as I believe all current temps, and this is one of the places I have questions and we'll talk about this mm-hmm. in a minute, but I believe based on prior discussions, the way that this is working and is that current temps will all have the opportunity to become full-time workers at full starting wage um, within 90 days of ratification of a deal. And that, of course, will result in gigantic raises for those workers. Um, the contract will result... In in raises when you take it all into account, this like the twenty five percent base you include the cola, the raises in this contract over four and a half years, according to the UAW, exceed the 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 gains made in the previous twenty two years combined. So basically, the entirety of the twenty first century so far to this point, the gains in this contract exceed those, and. Of the raise too, that's another big part of this, 11 per- workers will get an 11% raise immediately upon ratification to make up for how low raises have been in the past, and then the rest will follow along the four and a half years.
0: What I love about that is that it's not a, a, a ratification bonus. So often we talk right. about mm-hmm. why it should be a raise, and that's exactly what the UAW got here.
2: Yeah, well, and it it speaks so much to the effectiveness of democratic organization and democratic leadership to get a four-year TA that accomplishes at a five and a half X rate Mm -hmm. what the previous leadership was able to accomplish.
1: Right, exactly. And uh, other things in in, in the tentative agreement, currently right now at Ford, if you start there as a worker, it takes you eight years to get to top pay rate. With the new TA, that rate is cut more than in half. Now workers will reach top rate in three years within the lifetime of this contract. So if you are starting at the very beginning, you will get to the top rate before the contract expires. Uh, It eliminates tiers at, I believe, what is the Sterling Axle is, I believe, the plant right now that currently has the the really, really shitty wage tier. And so workers there, if this TA is ratified, will see some of the largest individual raises of, I believe, like 85% because it just moves them onto the, gets rid of the tier and moves them onto the main progression. Mm -hmm. The deal, and this is an area where there's a lot of questions. There was mention of gains to retiree healthcare, pensions, and 401ks, but not a lot of details. Um, and that's an area that I've seen folks online asking a lot of questions about. Um, so I think this weekend we'll get an opportunity when the UAW releases, you know, all the info to the members. They'll find that there'll be a chance to go over that, and workers will have a chance to decide if, like, what's in there is sufficient or not. And so, uh, one of the other big things, huge. This is this is, I think, one of the biggest mm-hmm. wins, and I haven't really seen it talked about as much. Is it does include the right to strike over plant closures for the first time ever. Which is a, a an enormous win, in my, in my view,
0: anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely is. And it will, uh, will allow workers to do what the workers in Brazil are doing now.
1: hmm
0: Well, and
2: it, yeah. Yeah, it just it cuts off an escape valve for these capitalists where they're like, oh, actually, we could just shed load on our investment and tell these workers to go fuck themselves. And that maintains status quo with the rest of the company. That's just no longer on the table you're not allowed to do that anymore. Cause if you try the union is well within their rights, within the contract to retaliate against you in the form of labor activity.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, they were, as they tried to like, kind of compare like how things have gone over the strike, the union pointed out that the total value of the deal that is included in this tentative agreement is a full 50% higher, the total dollar value than what was presented by Ford before the strike. So, I mean, demonstrating how much, you know, was able to be won in just, I think, like 41 days, I, I believe, from the, the start of the strike to the announcement of the tentative agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, on the live stream, of course, you know, Sean Payne emphasized repeatedly, uh, multiple times, that while, you know, he thinks that the TA is great and has a lot of historic wins, that ultimately it's the members who get to decide. And they're the only ones who get to determine whether this deal is good enough or whether, you know, there's more to be won from Ford and if workers should go back out on that. And so this weekend there's going to be, there's a conference basically of the leadership of their, like the Ford council of, so all the like local leaders and, and and folks that have been on the Ford negotiating team will all get together. They'll review the contract, decide whether or not that group wants to approve it to the membership. Then it will be sent to the members and there's going to be like regional meetings around the country mm-hmm. for Ford locals where members can get all the information, ask questions of the, the leadership and learn all the ins and outs of the deal before they vote on it. And so there was like this whole infographic that they laid out during the announcement of like, this is the process, the democratic process by how everybody gets to vote on it. And that like, look, like the negotiating team clearly thinks it's a good deal, but if the members don't then we'll be right back out there on the picket line. Well, like
2: What a contrast to to what you're used to unfortunately used to seeing in a lot of cases which is like they reach a TA the leadership says here's the TA we vote in five days please 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 vote yes please vote yes please approve the TA anyway thank you for your time like that's not at all what's happening here.
0: Yeah the democratic process is really really transparent in this whole thing and the, the graphics really lay that out and I think that when it comes to some of the things that we're looking to get more information on once the actual that council votes on whether or not to send it to the membership and we get that Facebook live and the point by point you know they, they plan on giving you like the exact wording and the different changing in the document it is like one of the things that I'm really interested in see is uh, hopefully if Ford has shifted on future t- uh, temp workers mm-hmm. and if there are yeah. more details on the retiree pay because again that was that had some very limited information on it and previously on the lives there was, it was like you know left a little bit to be desired and I mean even Fane himself I believe said that there was still some way, way to move on that Hopefully there was movement on that. And also we really hope that they got rid of the, you know, the the continuation of the tiers of being temp workers, even if it is, you know, we're doing 90 days for all temps now and a slightly longer period for future temps or something like that, because that's probably what I expect, honestly. But we don't really know. And we're looking forward to seeing that.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I would I would be interested not just to see the TA, but also to see like the GitHub style revision history through all of the different proposed yeah. agreements, where yeah. it's like twenty seven lines deleted, forty five lines added, and you get to see them highlighted right. in green and red and shit.
1: Yeah, one of the other things I'm interested to see because I haven't seen any discussion on this is if there's good, any provisions in this on like restrictions on mandatory overtime because yeah, you know, like the thirty two hour work week was always a outsized goal. You know, it's a long temp post. It's like, this is something we're going to be fighting for for a while. You know, I don't think anybody was uh, thought that this is like, we, we get this or we stay out on strike forever. Like it, it's, it's marketing tactic. You put, you know, your biggest, strongest demand out there and then you work as far as you can get towards it. But I haven't really heard a lot of discussion of that lately. So I, I do think because, well, I didn't necessarily, you know, expect them to win a 32 hour work week in this strike. Uh, you, I would expect there to be some amount of addressing of just the, like the fact that you know you have these workers that are forced to work six day weeks at the Arlington truck plant now obviously a big part of what 's going to help with that is these big raises because if your job is now enough it 's now if it 's now the only job you need, well then you don 't have to work a second job, and that that 's huge like that is gigantic, and i don 't want to understate that at all. But of course, you know, like you mentioned, Lena, with the you know, what happens with future temps as opposed to current temps, as you know, we don't want to have a system where it still allows or encourages Ford to come out here and just be like, oh, we helped current temps, but we're going to have old temps basically be in the same situation just with a higher uh, starting rate rate or to just be like now we've raised the wages of, of all these workers that's great but now we're going to make everybody work you know mandatory ot and work 60 hours a week right, <laughs> yeah. well, and that's
2: not just because we care about like the temps the future temps who might just come into the company and we want them to have a good position but it's also a tactical thing it's like you don't want to have to fight over the situation right. your temps are in every fucking cycle you want that to be one and done squared away so you can focus on the 32-hour work week or whatever your next set of demands are
0: Right. And I mean, your your point on the wages is also really important because there is the voluntary overtime that is still out there, which, mm. I mean, if people are getting paid enough, it's going to be a lot more time with their families, which I think is really important. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And so uh, one thing that is, is interesting about this one, and I know this goes against some of the stuff we've talked about in the past with different strikes, but I actually think it makes sense here, which is uh, the union has asked all Ford workers to go back to work before the ratification of the deal. That's not because the union has come out and said, look, we have a TA, the strike's over, we did it. We're not going back. Nothing's happened. We're amazing. Cheer for mm-hmm. us. It's a specific tactic because of the, you know, truly industrial nature of the UAW, where they're not, it's they're not striking just Ford, in which case going back to work would take a lot of the you know energy out of the strike. Mm-hmm. They're striking all three companies at once. So if the Ford workers go back now and Ford starts to be able to manufacture things and starts to be able to manufacture trucks and make profits off of them, then essentially what it's doing is every day that GM and Stellantis do not settle, do not agree to the UAW's terms, they're now basically being doubly hurt because not only are they not being able to produce the commodities they want to sell and profit off of, their competitor is which is basically like compounding the problem mm-hmm. for them. So I think in, in with this type of a strike where you're playing the three companies off each other at the same time, I do think that it does make sense to go back, especially when the union has been clear multiple times in the same like announcement that they're like, we're not forcing this tea on anyone. If people don't think it's good enough, we'll go right back out there. We'll be just as passionate as we were beforehand. So I think in that case, this is a, a period where going back before you voted makes sense because it can help your you're, Comrades in, at GM and Stellanis get a better deal. Well, and
2: it's not just that. It's also that, like, psychologically, when you go back to work and it's just the one employer or whatever, and you're like, okay, we have the TA. We're going back to show that we're like serious and nice and we're in good faith, blah, 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 a bunch of ideological fucking nonsense. It's demobilizing. But when you go back and you're like, we're going back to work specifically to put pressure on these other two companies to help our workers at those companies, it's actually a, it's the opposite of that. It's a mobile force it keeps people engaged in the labor struggle even as they temporarily possibly temporarily return to work exactly
0: and i mean i think we have to go back one last time to that quote from sean fain quote the members are the highest authority what Mm -hmm. happens next is up to you end quote Mm -hmm. and i think that especially if this deal is not good enough they will go back out on strike and win more
1: yeah, well, and the other thing, too, that I've noticed, and, and look, I'm not in the union, so this is purely anecdotal and could, could not be, it might not be uh, representative. But one of the things that I feel like, you know, this level of dem- democracy and transparency encourages is minimizing the potential for, like, acrimony within the union. If you have folks who think it's not good enough, but you have folks that do, by making it transparent, by saying, look, this is everything. This is all the cards on the table. We're going to give you up, like, this is it and being clear about like that it's up to the membership it, then it can just be a it can be a discussion it can be a, a a good faith debate amongst the membership on is this good enough is this not rather than turning into a really you know a potentially divisive thing, where you have like the the leadership putting their foot on the, the the scale or something to try and really tip it one way or the other, and having you know folks attacking people who are questioning it or anything like that. I think that this transparency makes that a much better and less divisive conversation. On yeah. top
0: of that, they're setting a new standard for unions all over the country, saying that mm-hmm. this is what democracy looks like.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, we love it love to see it and and we look forward to you know the Ford workers letting us know like we'll know if this is a good enough deal so uh, we'll see when the the workers vote but this is also very encouraging because uh, I think we're going to see we're I think we're going to see an end to the strikes at, at GM and Stellantis pretty soon because the minute those F-150s start rolling back off the lot the investors at both those companies have to be like uh where's our profit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, I I think that this is really a demonstration of the power of both, like you said, Lena, just like that democracy, but also the militancy that the tactics of this this strike have been able to bring to the fore from the union.
2: And also, it's kind of funny to call those people investors and then have them be shocked when they need to invest in paying (laughs) their fucking workers. I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. While we are laughing. Let's continue that into our meme review where our first one is a worker who is tipping his hat and has a uh, a drive-through headset on looks like they're at some sort of coffee place uh, like a, a Dunkin Donuts of sorts or something like that and the the text on this one is me after a customer tried to pay for the person behind them in drive-through but I took that money as a tip
2: <laughs> <laughs> and especially if you work at fucking Baskin Robbins which it seems like this this person does yeah. Uh, yeah. take any fucking money you find on the floor, quote unquote, (laughs) anytime you can.
1: (laughs) I love this because especially as I know people be like, hey, I wanted to pay for the person behind me. Don't. Just... Why would you give the money to the person behind you and not the worker Mm -hmm. who is, like, doing all this shit? Like, that, that... they are, they are, you're going to use that money a lot better than just this endless annoying chain where you are making the worker's job harder mm-hmm. by having to have them track who's paying for what.
2: Oh, but my fellow customer, I love my fellow customers so much. Yeah, but here's the thing. Baskin Robin employees, they don't ever buy anything. They never go to a store. So they don't need the money. I'd rather give it to Chuck <laughs> behind me with his six kids who are each going to order a chicken tenders basket.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, anyone tries to do the pay it forward stuff, just take it as a tip. Yeah, just That's stick right. that shit
2: in your pocket. Uh, well, speaking of good advice, our, our next uh, meme is just a drill tweet, which is always a wellspring of uh, good posts. And this one just says, "The Middle East is complicated because it's bad to support it's bad to support smothering orphans in hellfire, but I also really want to graduate Harvard."
1: <laughs> which yeah. reminds me, of now that... I will say, this is not to denigrate Harvard students. It's no. actually to cheer on the Harvard students who have been brave in the face of absolutely ridiculous and vile attacks from from zionists in the area uh but yeah drill has been all over this yet another one that was just like i can't believe i've been fired from goldman sachs for for not supporting a genocide the one good genocide (laughs) (laughs) it also reminds
2: me of that onion headline where it's like the onion proudly supports israel because it seems like you get in less trouble for that
1: (laughs) and so like because that kind of rolls into the next one which is uh the one of the rare good uses of AI that I've ever seen, because I, folks may have seen the absolutely ludicrous, just r- ridiculously cringe uh, propaganda that's been being put out by the Zionist uh, entity to that is just using AI generated like Harry Potter villains and are just like Lord Voldemort thinks Hamas is too bad. Yeah,
0: uh, ridiculous.
1: It's awful but th- this is a different version of that cuz it's it's it the the way that it's set up is it's like an AI thing of Voldemort looking at a phone and screaming and it's like this even disgusted Voldemort look at the proof the Hamas hamasterrorist.com or whatever the fuck their stupid URL was so instead somebody has used a very similar AI drawing thing to have a, to have one that is yoda smoked out hellboy watch <laughs> the evidence yodaloud.com <laughs> and it's just a picture of yoda and hellboy smoking weed now this
2: is some disinfo i can get into
1: <laughs> that's right that's right but, which like i know it's stupid but it's like this is frankly better quality than the actual like propaganda ads oh, are it's did, did you see it's the, bizarre living in this timeline did you
2: see the post from Netanyahu? Like late last night, early this morning, where he's like, we finally have evidence that Hamas is using hospitals as headquarters. And then it's like, they play a bunch of like 3D rendered mobile ad looking footage of like guys like T posing and walking around some tunnels under a hospital. And it just says like 3D modeling based on intelligence gathered by such and such services. It was like, this is not evidence. This is not evidence of anything. This is a 3D, like, like check out, um, like, weirdly shaped man devours a bunch of other weirdly shaped 3D models of men, and then it's just a link to a cool 3D world post on Twitter.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it it is absolutely ridiculous, but also, I mean, the the Voldemort one, I mean, I think is really indicative of, they know their audience, I mean, people who are into Harry Potter are likely those right-wing liberal ghouls who are uh, supporting genocide right now.
2: Well, yeah, they know their fucking audience, I mean, three hours ago, the IDF posted at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, in English, a video addressing the residents of Gaza, so... Is that video really for the residents of Gaza who don't have any fucking power or internet right now? Or is it for you, the Americans?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, don't believe anything coming out of that
2: shit. mm mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. And uh, then our next one is a, a classic, uh, like uh, cover of of capital kind of post, but uh, the <laughs> yeah. it's the sign notice must be customer at all times because that is the kind of world we live in. And then the actual title of this book is "I fucking warned you, dude. I told you, bro. A critical analysis of capitalist production by Karl Marx."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I would like to see. I would like to propose an alternate version of this meme. Which is the? It's just a two-panel. First panel is a picture of the is just this picture of the sign, and the second panel zooms out and it shows that this has replaced the book on the Statue of Liberty because I mean that would just be kind of the more honest. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. If you're a meme creator, we got to see that
0: one in the Discord.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, but our last one, uh, you know, we're going back to the well from one of the best meme pages out there, cats with hard hats. We got one that I think everybody can sympathize with you have a cat just uh leaning over the edge of a bed with a coca-cola 600 trucker hat on (laughs) and listed as horrible news my alarm clock went off. Yeah. I also, I, I loved the angle on this one, because that's not clear.
0: That's not just a bed. That's top bunk of the of a bunk yeah. bed. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's right next to the ceiling up there. I also love that it's specifically like some weird vintage hat. You would find it like a secondhand store or on eBay <laughs> or something. I follow this guy, um, eBay jackets and hats on Twitter, who is not affiliated with eBay in any capacity, but just shares. Like weird old vintage shit you could find out there. And I almost bought the the Vegemite hat that he shared. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. Alright, y'all. That's gonna be it for today. We really appreciate uh, any reviews that you write for us. And also, if you would become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage because it is the only way that we get any funding for doing this show. It also gives you access to all of our many, many bonus uh, overtime and movie time episodes as we just put out a movie time episode. Join us in the the discord again write us a review somewhere if you haven't follow us in all the places the links are at workstoppagepod.com listen to bb Lettuce. listen to red game table and as always labor peace is not in our interest and solidarity forever solidarity solidarity